0: James Elder, UNICEF spokesperson, thank you so much for joining us from Rafah in southern Gaza. Please describe to us the situation in Gaza with the resumption of hostilities today after the end of the humanitarian
1: pause. The the place is, again, awash with with fear, from what I've seen with blood. Um, The the attacks are ongoing. Um, That's why I'm like this trying to stay away from glass, everyone is. So there's just a a sense, again, of oh no from people. There's been a moment that people could just get catch their breath. Children could start to feel childhood returning for, for a second. And I've been at NASA Hospital and it's ambulances and people with the wounds of war to an already overcrowded overcrowded hospital. The bombardments have been relentless. You just smell now the smell of explosives in the air. Um, it's... I would say it's a nightmare but the people I've spoken to have all said they've been living in a nightmare they had nowhere else else to fall well you know, from everything that's falling from the skies the somehow their nightmare has just got that much worse
0: James, you've been in the hospital in Nasser hospital uh, when um, a strike happened nearby like a few meters from the hospital what was the situation like inside
1: People are terrified that they, they've been here before, but there's a there's a line you often hear about: Gaza nowhere is safe." It's not a cliche. So those people in the hospital who are either wounded or the hundreds in hot corridors seeking safety, lying with the few things they brought from what were their lovely homes on on mattresses, squashed in corridors outside ICU everywhere quite often their home was hit and they went to a a, a center uh, somewhere meant to be a school uh, and that was hit. And now they're in a hospital and they can hear the explosions. They can hear the whistle before the bang. They can see some of those people at the entrance who are are, um, now living with just within the entrance of NASA hospital, can see the stretchers come in, can see people with the horrendous blast wounds. So you know, children, again, are cradling into their parents. The older children can look in their parents' eyes and realise that, you know, mum and dad no longer can protect me. So it's it's a wash with fear.
0: From someone who is seeing this firsthand, what can you tell us about uh, the kind of injuries children have, the care they can find, and also their food and water situation?
1: The injuries are ghastly. Um I think that this role for me is to bear witness to this to tell people's stories to try and explain to the world what is happening to the children of Gaza so I look I I so don't want to look at any more children with burn 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 injuries um but you know this is what's happening to them least we can do is to look and try and share I think it's important to know that when a missile or rocket i I don't know the military precision when they hit a home when a child's in that home and so many thousands of children have been it's not a single injury it's broken bones it's the burns i mentioned it's shrapnel glass is just so terrifying it's shrapnel that rips through a child these are the wounds they have they look like they've been broken and badly put back together so they're the injuries. I spoke to people in the Ministry of Health. I was really trying to find out from hospitals. It seems at least a 1,000 children have suffered amputations. I've seen them in the hospital. I've seen little boys and girls who their parents will explain were, or their caregivers now, their parents are dead, who will explain that, you know, Shima, for example, eight years old, has lost her leg and her arm, her right leg and her right arm, and that she was kind of the cheeky one. We're always asked too many questions In the three or four times I've been to the hospital to see her, she hasn't uttered a word. So they're the injuries. The aid has been essential. The United Nations across the board, across the board, WHO and UNICEF getting medical supplies, WHO, their expertise, UNRWA, everything, fuel, their local staff are utterly heroic, incredible. WFP, of course, with food, UNICEF, water, medical supplies, tents. The response has been immense these last seven days, but everyone has known it's seven days. It's been blocked, restricted all over the place. It needed much more. Of course, the people needed peace, but you know the Rafa Gate right now is shut. We're not getting the aid that we hope to get to the north. It's the right type of aid, but it was never going it was never going to be enough in a short space. Sorry, in a short space of time. Um,
0: what happened, James? Here.
1: Uh, there's, I can see, I heard the explosion, there's plumes of smoke, um, I don't know, in my line of sight, 200 metres away, I guess. Um, I'm still trying to understand the differing sounds and what that explosion may mean. Sometimes you get no warning, of course. Sometimes there's half a second um, potentially to hit the floor.
0: But are so- you safe right now, we want to make sure that you're safe
1: talking to us. No, oh, look, it's very, I mean, I I, I say this with, with greatest heart. It's very, very kind, but there is nowhere safe. This place is not safe. Under that table is not safe. Children in that hospital is not safe. There are no bunkers here. That would offer a, a modicum of, of safety It doesn't exist. That's the message we keep trying to share. That's why those leaders... Few people who have influence over this have to understand that inaction, enabling these attacks to begin again, is to to allow the killing of more and more children. That's because no one is safe. So the aid the aid has been critical. You know, because the, as a doctor said to me, James, this was during the ceasefire. He said, "We've seen the deaths, there's so many deaths from the skies." I can imagine just as many from the ground If disease if we don't get a handle on that sanitation systems have broken down despite everyone's efforts. They have those mounds of rubbish piling up because everyone is displaced. No one's got fuel to clean things. Um, lack of water, lack of few, food, food, people living in close proximity, teenage girls having to wait three or four hours to get to a bathroom. This is your perfect storm for disease. These are the things that an agency like UNICEF and WHO were seeking to address. And now here we are again with bombardment, making life and delivering aids so much more
0: difficult. And under these uh, conditions, what can UNICEF do? People wonder, what can you do right now?
1: Well, I'd like to speak to all of them, my UNICEF colleagues, the other colleagues where I am here at this operations centre, you know, across the board, as I say, UNRWA, who have taken the brunt of this and, uh, and have still so many brave staff who have lost family members, lost loved ones, and still turn up to work, still turn up to do everything they can. You know, WHO, WFP, UNICEF, everyone is working very much on a common front. And they're doing their best. They also have families, you know. They've also lived through bombardments. I can hear. It. Oof. they they so they're worried. More more bombing right now, James. More, more yeah, more bombing. Um, we're quite close to the the water here as well, and there's naval vessels. So I don't know, as I say, I have no military expertise. I can certainly see the wounds of war. I don't understand the the, 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 the terminology or where it's come from. So they're incredibly brave but you know one of my colleagues who's a driver for unicef his whole family his wife all his daughters all dead these stories are not unique i'm used to going to a place where you hear some, some stories that break your heart but they're not everywhere you turn around that's what's here so people keep working they're they're extraordinary i cannot i cannot overstate the courage and the selflessness of those colleagues who will continue to deliver aid every given moment.
0: You said no place is safe in Gaza, but do you have any information about northern Gaza right now?
1: I haven't in the last few hours. um, Most people, of course, are in the south. There's bombardments here. I guess it's heavier in the north. I haven't even looked at the media. Um, So no, no eyes on the ground there at all. And that's always terrifying. We've seen that when there's no when there's no one to witness these things. We we see that unimaginably it can get worse.
0: I think it's obvious. You mentioned before that this is a war on children. But for someone who's who might not be cl- following the news closely, can you explain this a little bit?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you've got... 5,000 children killed, 6,000, whatever the latest reported numbers are. And then whatever the aims are of this, whatever political, military aims are that I'm not privy to and do not understand, that sheer number of children being killed that means that they are bearing the brunt of this. I think it's around forty percent of casualties are children. That's incomprehensible. That's a war on children. Just as there are still some children, Israeli children, somewhere in a tunnel, this tunnel that we hoped would finally the torment for their families would be over and they'd get them home. Uh, it's perplexing that why that hasn't occurred as well. Just this constant, constant theme is is uh, you know I don't understand. How anyone can think that continuing this anger and polarization and destruction of Gaza and killing of children can in any way bring greater safety than for the children of Palestine, Gaza, Israel?
0: And I have to ask you, what is much needed right now from the international community, from the parties?
1: Sanity, decency. There are people who have control over this. To understand the lives of people of Gaza, to understand when I went north a day or two ago and in Gaza City and walking among the rubble and the blood and the children's clothes and and waiting for our convoy to get permission to go further, and still a a father offers offers me a coffee. This may not be a rich place economically, but goodness me, it's rich in it's rich in community, it's rich in society. So to understand the people there, their dreams, their hopes, the girl who I spoke to who just had a scholarship and was in America from Gaza, she'd never seen homelessness until she was in D.C. Now she's back here and the whole place is homeless. She wants to bring her skills here to understand their dreams, to humanize them. I don't understand why we need to humanize them. That would seem straightforward, but apparently we do. So to understand both in principle their hopes and dreams and in practice the the callousness and lack of logic that these continuation of these attacks can in any way can any way serve any purpose other than more and more sorrow
0: thank you so much james elder speaking to us from southern Gaza.